0: Wednesday, February 6th, 2013, episode number 36. The Football Nation Today podcast with Alex Reamer on footballnation.com. Welcome inside episode number 36. Football Nation Today podcast, hosted by yours truly Alex Reamer. It is the post Super Bowl edition of Football Nation Today, which of course is published every Wednesday right here on FootballNation.com. And if you're downloading convenience in the iTunes Store, please subscribe to the Football Nation Today podcast and the other shows on FootballNation.com in the iTunes Store if you have yet to do so. Here we are. It is the Wednesday after the Super Bowl, getting off of our Super Bowl high. And staring into the sports abyss that is the month of February and saying, "Oi vey, we got regular season hockey and basketball. Pitchers and catchers report this weekend in baseball. You won't find a bigger baseball guy than I, but that's interesting for approximately two seconds. And then you realize, oh, we don't get real baseball till April. But fear not, Football Nation Today listeners, because we'll continue to come at you each and every Wednesday right here on footballnation.com. And we have a boatload of things to talk about. The NFL is now a 12-month enterprise. Once the games stop, the offseason begins. We have franchise tags to discuss, uh, NFL free agency speculation, which of course officially begins... In the middle of March, I think one of the best football weeks of the entire year. We have draft speculation for the next couple of months, too. Uh, So certainly a lot to get into. We will keep you entertained each and every Wednesday right here on the show. Uh, What are we talking about this week on Football Nation today? Obviously, leading off the program with our first down segment with some thoughts on Super Bowl Forty Seven. Congratulations to the Super Bowl champion, Baltimore Ravens. A lot of thoughts about the game. And I think Jim Harbaugh in particular has nobody to blame but himself for how things went down there at the Superdome. Uh, Also, Joe Flacco. I've said a lot of things about Flacco, many of them not so nice. I'm going to uh, recant a lot of things I've said about Joe Flacco in the first down segment. I thought you couldn't win with him. I was wrong. You can win with him. But he's still not elite. Yes, we'll talk about that. Then in the second down segment talking about performance-dancing drugs in football. Did that last week with Ray Lewis in the Deer Antler scandal. Uh, Bill Simmons of Grantland.com had a fantastic article last week about his view on performance-dancing drugs in sports and the speculation that goes along with it. And with me reading some excerpts from that article, I will give you a pledge on how we will talk about performance-dancing drugs from here on out on Football Nation today. You don't want to miss that. Third down segment, it's the big up slowdown segment, debating various topics from Rob Gronkowski, and whether or not his partying should be a concern for the Patriots. Uh, Randy Moss last week called himself the best receiver in the history of football. We're not going to debate that, but I'll tell you whether or not I like Randy Moss because he's one of the most polarizing figures in football. Haven't talked a lot about him this year, but he was in the headlines last week, so we'll talk about Randy Moss. And also, Super Bowl 47 did not break ratings records, but still, well, over 108 million people watched it. Is football ever going to see any sort of even slight decline in national prominence? We'll discuss that. Then the fourth down segment, it's the Reamer rant. With the power outage, there was a lot of CBS on Sunday, and I realized, boy, there's a lot of ex-athletes here, and a lot of these ex-athletes who are analysts aren't doing a lot of analyzing. So all nation today, episode number 36. My name is Alex Reamer. We'll be right back. Now, the leadoff thought I want to give you today on Super Bowl 47 is that it was another great game. Didn't look like it was going to be that way at halftime. And then Jacoby Jones had the kickoff return for the touchdown to kick off the second half. But then we had the 36-minute power outage, and it turned on a dime to the 49ers way, and we got a terrific finish. Once again, the Super Bowl came down to the final possession. And, you know, this has been a great game now. For 12 years running, I mean, the, and I'm too young to remember this, luckily, but for the most part, the Super Bowl in the 80s, most of the 90s, these were terrible, terrible football games. Blowouts every single year. And really, every Super Bowl since 2001 has been fantastic, down to the last possession. Uh, Patriots-Rams in 01, game-winning field goal Adam Vinatieri. 2002, Buccaneers-Raiders was a dead. But then 03, 04, Patriots, Panthers, Patriots, Eagles, both games came down to the final possession. Both games, terrific football games. Then 05 and 06, we had two eh okay games: Steelers, Seahawks in 05, Colts, Bears in 06 as well, like an eight-point game, so okay, two mediocre ones there. But then from 07 on, we're now six consecutive down to the wire, legendary games. I mean, of course, Super Bowl 42. Over there in Glendale, Arizona, Patriots-Giants. Patriots fans don't like to hear it, but that'll go down as one of the all-time great games. Steelers-Cardinals the next year. That last-second touchdown pass, Ben Roethlisberger to San Antonio Holmes. Saints-Colts the next year. The Peyton Manning interception returned by Tracy Porter. That ended the game late in the fourth quarter. Packers-Steelers, 2010-2011. Packers win and the terrific game there. 2000. Uh, 11, of course, last season, Patriots-Giants and a rematch, another terrific game. And in this past season, Ravens 49ers. So here we are now, six years running. You can believe that of just terrific, terrific football games. Only nine of the past 12 Super Bowls have not been down to the wire legendary contests. We are so blessed. This game never fails to deliver. It always delivers year after year. Now, of course, we had the power outage. In the Superdome this year, the 36-minute or so power failure came out this week that the Superdome was warned about the power failure months ago, and they didn't take the proper precautions. It's unfortunate to hear that, and it's unfortunate it happened. And the NFL, please hear these silly conspiracy theories that they pulled the plug because they wanted San Francisco to mount a comeback, get the momentum back, take the momentum away from the Ravens, please. Because <laughs> I mean, the NFL really looked like a Mickey Mouse operation there. I mean, you do not want to look like that. They lost viewers during the midst of that power failure. So, no. No way in hell. And I love conspiracy theories. Give me a good one, I'll believe it 9 out of 10 times. But <laughs> I'm not quite buying that one that the NFL would make themselves look that silly. Um, But I really hope this doesn't deter the league from putting the game back in New Orleans. Uh, We said this a little bit last week on the show. I think it's a terrific place to have a Super Bowl. Every other year, it should alternate between New Orleans and Miami. I mean, there are no more two perfect cities in this country told the big game than those two. I mean, maybe Vegas would be something else, but with all the gambling there, the NFL gets a little cautious. So just keep it in New Orleans and Miami. Every other year. You know, South Beach, French Quarter, alternate between the two. I know Indianapolis did a great job last year. Uh, New York, I'm sure, will do a spectacular job this year, even though it will be, um, how do I say, intolerable. (laughs) It will be intolerable. All the New New Yorkers patting themselves on the back. Yeah, yeah. No one does a Super Bowl like the Big Apple. No Super Bowl has been as good as this one because it's in New York. I mean, oh, my God. It will be intolerable next year, but I'm sure it'll be great. But still, New Orleans, Miami, weather never fails, atmosphere never fails. Every other year, those are the two best places to have the big game, and I hope the power failure does not deter Roger Goodell in the NFL from returning ba- uh, from going back to the Big Easy. As far as the actual game, and a lot has been said about Super Bowl 47, so it's not going to take too much of your time here, but I have some thoughts I need to get off my chest. Thought number one, as I alluded to in the opening, Jim Harbaugh has nobody to blame but himself for the way things went down in the second half. His team mounted a tremendous comeback, but they came up short. He has no one to blame but himself. No referees, no nothing. That, to me, was so lowbrow and frankly low class when Harbaugh was at the podium after the game and Blame the referees for not calling the holding call there on the fourth down throw to Crabtree. I mean, did Jimmy Smith, the Baltimore corner, hold him? Uh, After looking at it on replay about a million times, yeah, he held him. It was holding. But they let a lot of things go in that game. And that's consistent with how they've called this postseason. That's consistent with how they've called the past several postseasons. You know, they call it very tight in the regular season on the defense. But in the playoffs, they open up the field a little bit, which is why... You know, those physical type of teams tend to have more success in the playoffs than the finesse teams do, even though the league is clearly moving in that finesse offensive direction. Um, Craig would have sucked if the Super Bowl was decided on a holding call. You know, let the guys play. Let the players play. So I didn't have an issue with that call going. And, you know, I mean, Harbaugh, his clock management and play calling was horrible in the second half of that game. I mean, he burned two of his three timeouts, before Baltimore's final possession. So even though the 49ers got the stop after they couldn't punch it in on the goal line, they didn't get the ball back because they only had one timeout and the Ravens, you know, uh, blew the whole clock in their final possession. Uh, They blew a timeout early in the third quarter on a first down play, which should be inexcusable. And then when they were on the goal line to set up a third down play, he blew a timeout. Harbaugh did. Just terrible clock management. Come on, man. That's weak. Of their clock management down in the Super Bowl. And as far as the play calling goes, let's give Dean Pease and the Ravens credit for the play calling they made when the 49ers were on the goal line and in the two-point conversion prior to that. Uh, sending guys right up the middle. Remember on that goal line play, Danelle Ellerby was right in Colin Kaepernick's space. Kaepernick had nowhere to go with the football. Let's give the Ravens credit. Dean Pease and the Ravens defense called a great game. Played a great game on Sunday. Uh, but on the goal line there. 49ers really spit the bet. I mean, inside the 10-yard line, first down, they called a run up the middle to a Michael James, which to me is just a throwaway play. I mean, I think Jim Harbaugh and Greg Norman, the offensive coordinator, or Greg Roman, excuse me, got a little cute there. You know, they were getting close to two-minute warning. They're on the 10-yard line, moving the ball down the field, and they thought, oh, you know, let's really tick this thing down to all we can use the 2 minute warning to our benefit. You know, let's let's try to score with like 30 seconds left. Let's really let's really try to use all the clock we can cuz it's a sure thing we're going to score, right? No, not a sure thing you're going to score, and you can't take scoring touchdowns for granted, especially in the Super Bowl, against the Ravens' defense. Uh, so they paid for that. You know, that to me, that James run on first down was just meant to eat up the clock. It was a little too cute, trying to be too precise with the clock management, and it wound up biting the 49ers uh, where it hurts. And then the three straight fades to Michael Crabtree in the right corner of the end zone, absolutely inexcusable. Uh, Kaepernick didn't have a lot of room to run. Because, again, the Ravens are right in his face. they got good pressure on him. But, I mean, how about a screen pass or something to take advantage of the blitzing Ravens? Or, you know, maybe call the read option. You know, I mean, that's worked so well for you all season long with Kaepernick and Frank Gore. And Gore is running really well in the second half, scored a touchdown earlier in the half. And then, there you are, final three downs of the game on the seven-yard line. And you're not going to call the read option once, not once. Not going to have Kaepernick go outside the pocket once? You're not going to call a screen once? You're not going to try to take advantage of that Vernon Davis-Ray Lewis matchup one more time? I mean, nothing? Just three low percentage fades to Michael Crabtree in the right corner of the end zone? Come on, you need time to let those plays develop. The 49ers didn't have the time. And they blew it. Terrible play calling. No read option. No screen pass to take advantage of the blitz. Kaepernick didn't didn't go outside the pocket at all. Nothing. Horrible. So Jim Harbaugh, I'm sorry, man. You have no one to blame but yourself for the clock management and play calling. Piss poor in the latter stages of that ballgame. And we give Jim Harbaugh a lot of credit. And I've given him a lot of credit. I think Jim Harbaugh is one of the top three coaches in the game today. But let's give John Harbaugh a lot of credit as well for the way the Ravens played down the stretch. I didn't think they would get there, obviously. Not many people thought they would get there with the way they closed out the regular season. And we talk a lot about the switch the 49ers made at quarterback, subbing out Alex Smith for Colin Kaepernick, and rightfully so, we give Jim Harbaugh an immense amount of credit for instituting that change, but let's also give John Harbaugh a lot of credit for instituting this change. Firing offensive coordinator Cam Cameron with a mere couple of weeks to go in the regular season, replacing Cameron with Jim Caldwell, who has a record 30-plus games below 500 as a head coach at Wake Forest, who I don't think said two words into his headset when he was head coach of the Colts for a couple of seasons. A lot of people, myself included, mocked that move. But John Harbaugh was right. That was the right move to make. That offense completely changed. Once Caldwell was given the reins from Cameron. A terrific, terrific move. They revamped the offensive line. And most of all, they had Joe Flacco standing the shotgun and throw. And throw not just deep down the right sideline to Torrey Smith. No, throw to the rest of the field. Use Dennis Pitt up the middle. Use Anquan Bolden, who I have an absolute man crush on. Oh, I love that guy. You know, use Ray Rice a little more in the passing game. Still not as much as I would have liked to see. But diversified things a little bit. Cam Cameron didn't do that. Jim Caldwell did do that. And as I said, we give Jim Harbaugh a lot of credit for the Kaepernick change. Well, give his little brother John a lot of credit for the change in offensive coordinators. Cam Cameron to Jim Caldwell. And from there, the Ravens offense completely different and a thousand times more effective. Other quick notes from that game, uh, the 49ers secondary was terrible, absolutely awful, looking back on a lot of those plays. It's amazing to me. I mean, the Broncos in the divisional round weren't ready for that deep 70-plus yard touchdown to Jacoby Jones. Uh, the Patriots secondary didn't, wasn't effective against the Ravens either, couldn't cover the middle of the field. Couldn't generate any pressure on Flacco either. And the 49ers on Sunday generated some pressure on Flacco. To his credit, he handled it well. Though Alden Smith, again, invisible. Uh, What happened to that guy in the latter stage of the season, huh? I think a lot of questions there. But uh, that Jacoby Jones touchdown pass. I mean, what is that? I mean, that's that's what Flacco does. That's his M.O. That's his strength. Lobbing the ball deep down the field. Right side, Jacoby Jones is there, no corner in sight, no safety help over the top. What is that? I mean, nobody was there. No one was within an earshot of him on that touchdown. How can you not be ready for that? How can you not be ready for the deep game when you play Joe Flacco? The 49ers secondary was not ready to play. They were terrible. Cornerback Chris Culver especially, awful. And I can't say I'm actually disappointed at that. I'm actually glad Culver was terrible and maybe to go to that game for San Francisco, given the comments he made last week about gays in football. Uh, that's karma, my man. That's telling you that right there. Um, <laughs> Ray Lewis, of course, the star of the Super Bowl. Did you know it was his final game? I don't know if you caught that. But <laughs> let's call a spade a spade. Ray Lewis was a dud on Sunday. I mean, <laughs> Ray Lewis said he had visions. You know, I had visions. Headed into that game. Well, he must have visualized the back of Vernon Davis's jersey. Because that's all he saw uh, on Sunday. Davis had well over 100 yards receiving. Uh, the Ravens won in spite of Lewis and his horrible showing in pass coverage. Uh, but hey, he goes out a winner. Uh, Anquan Bolden, played a terrific game, as I said. Uh, Flacco won Super Bowl MVP, and rightfully so. But Bolden would have been my second or third choice. He was fantastic throughout the entire postseason, lit the Patriots up in the championship game, lit the 49ers up in the Super Bowl. I love a receiver like Anquan Bolden, a big, strong, physical guy. Joe Flacco isn't a precise passer. He throws a lot of jump balls. He relies on his wide receivers to make plays, and Anquan Bolden is a guy who isn't afraid of contact. He actually welcomes the physicality. He loves making plays in the middle of the field, a tremendous weapon in the red zone. Uh, Bolden is my kind of receiver and in the regular season you know he may only get 65-70 catches he's not a bonafide number one receiver not by any stretch but in the playoffs the rules loosen up a little bit you're allowed to be more physical defenses are more physical and the physical receivers are the one who rule the day are the ones who rule the day and Bolden ruled this entire postseason he ruled in the Super Bowl I love that guy. Terrific wide receiver. And we already started to hear it. Ravens have a lot of roster questions. Ed Reed and Anquan Bolden, the two biggest pending free agents they have, in addition to Paul Kruger and Danelle Ellerby. It's already been said the Ravens want to keep Ed Reed. Obviously, they want to pay Joe Flacco. That goes without saying. And reports say Bolden may be the odd guy out there because they want to keep Reed. They want to keep Flacco. Not a lot of money left under the cap for Bolden. Um, I think that might be a mistake for Baltimore. There's no doubt that Reed is immensely valuable as a leader on that defense. Uh, there's no doubt you have to keep Flacco at this point. But Flacco, I don't think, is the same quarterback without Bolden. I would try to resign him at all costs, I really would. I think Flacco is a guy who relies so much on his, on his receivers to make plays. It's clear him and Bolden have a great connection, have great chemistry with each other. Uh, I think Flacco really relies on his receiver. You know, he's not a Tom Brady guy who will make the guys around him better. You know, I mean, Flacco relies on his receivers, his tight ends, his running backs to help make him better, and it works for Baltimore. Hey, they won the Super Bowl. I'm not criticizing it, but... I think it would be a mistake to just let Bolden walk, and I know it's tough to fit them all under the cap with Ed Reed and Joe Flacco being top priorities as well, but I think if they let Bolden walk, it's going to really hurt Flacco. I do, because he's a huge weapon for that Baltimore passing game. Now, to wrap up this first down segment, Joe Flacco, the main man, the Super Bowl MVP, all the talk after the game about Flacco. Is he elite? Is he not elite? Yada, yada, yada. Well, I'm here to tell you. Football Nation today, episode number 36, February 6, 2013. Ready? I, Alex Reamer, was wrong on Joe Flacco. I was wrong on Joe Flacco. I still don't think he's elite, which I'll explain in a moment. But honestly, who cares about that? It's a cute little debate we can have amongst friends. It's a cute little debate for, you know, ESPN to have on First Take and on Sports Center. But at the end of the day, who cares if a quarterback is considered a lead or not? What, what does that even mean? That's not a thing. All that matters is if you can win with him. And the Ravens showed it this year. You can win with Joe Flacco. So that's all that matters. Is he elite? Is he not elite? It's a fun debate, and we'll have it. We're gonna have it in a matter of moments. But let's just say it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who's elite and who isn't elite. All that matters is if you can win. And Joe Flacco and the Ravens won this year. And that's what it's all about, you know. In sports, you gotta have an end to an argument, and the end of the argument is the scoreboard more times than it isn't. I'm not a guy who says rings are everything. But rings are almost everything. You know, the great ones in all their respective sports win. I mean, really, they do. Baseball, there are some exceptions because it's really an individual sport that masquerades as a team sport. But overall, most of the great ones in all their sports win championships. So that's the end of the argument. I mean, Joe Flacco was terrific in the postseason this year. You know, he threw uh, 13 touchdowns, zero interceptions. Had a 117.2 quarterback rating this postseason. Played great in the Super Bowl. The MVP reacted incredibly well to the San Francisco pressure. Moved well outside of the pocket. Didn't get intimidated. Big game for Flacco. Big games all around this postseason. 117.2 quarterback rating. Not a single interception thrown. This is what it's all about. I mean, if you play well in these games, that's it for me. I mean, who cares what else you do? This is the final exam. Like in college, you know what I mean? Class participation is 10% of your grade. You know, pop quizzes, maybe 5% of your grade. Homework assignments, maybe another 5% of your grade. But then the remaining 80% are your, fi- are your midterm and your final exam. Because that's all that matters. Do you know the stuff? Do you know the material? Can you put it together? And in football, in sports, the postseason... The championship games, the Super Bowl, this is the final exam. How do you do on it? The rest of the stuff doesn't really matter because this is what it's all about, championships. And you can win a championship with Joe Flacco. Ravens did it this season, and Flacco plays well, incredibly well, in these big games. He has for most of his career. So who cares about elite, not elite? All that matters is if you can win. You can win with Joe Flacco. I was wrong on that. He has a 9-4 and career postseason record, 19 touchdowns to 8 interceptions through his, first, through his first 13 career playoff games. Same numbers Tom Brady had, by the way. So once again, the critics have to shut up with Flacco, and I'm including myself in that. You can win with him. You can win, and that's what it's all about. So he will get paid handsomely this offseason, and rightfully so. But, while we're having the whole elite argument, and I know people love this thing, so i can give you my two cents briefly here. I still don't think he's elite. Doesn't matter, but if you're asking me, is Joe Flacco elite or not, my answer still is no. My definition of elite is this, when it comes to quarterbacks in the NFL. Can you build a team around him? Can you build an offense around Joe Flacco? I still don't think you can. With all of his accolades this postseason, Joe Flacco's completion percentage was still a pedestrian 57.9%. The Ravens' offense is not built around Flacco. It's built around Ray Rice in the running game, and it's built around his receivers who make plays for him, as I said earlier. I don't think Joe Flacco makes the guys around him better. I think the guys around him make... I think... Let me try that again. I don't think Joe Flacco makes the guys around him better. I think the guys around Joe Flacco make Joe Flacco better. There. Now you're following me. Again, it doesn't matter. The Ravens won with this formula. But you can't build an offense around Joe Flacco. I still don't believe that. And that's why I still don't think Joe Flacco is elite. I mean, let's go through the list. You know, maybe this offseason, if it's a little slower... I'll do the Alex Rimer quarterback show, and I'll take all my and I'll tell you how I rate my quarterbacks. really, it comes down to three things for me, uh, three different criteria, if you will. Number one, you have the quarterback who you could have for a full season. You know, if one season, if the the 2013 season started tomorrow, who would you want as your quarterback? That's number one. Number two is if you could take a quarterback for the next ten years, who would you pick? Well, then. I'm not thinking Tom Brady, Drew Brees. I'm thinking, you know, uh, Andrew Luck, Russell Wilson, Robert Griffin, Colin Kaepernick. Then you have, if you only had one game to win tonight, who would your quarterback be? Well, then my list changes. Then I'm leaning towards Eli Manning at the top. Joe Flacco is at the top of that list right now. So when I do my top quarterbacks, I take it as a combination of those three. I know, very scientific, right? So here we go. An elite is top 10. I think we we have a consensus on that. So let's go through the list. You know, number one, Aaron Rodgers. Is Joe Flacco better than Aaron Rodgers? No. Is he better than Tom Brady? No. Is he better than Drew Brees? No. Is he better than Peyton Manning? No. Not in the regular season. Again, if I had to win a game tonight, Flacco would be way ahead of Peyton Manning. But in terms of overall quarterback, no. Peyton Manning's ahead of Flacco. So he's not better than Rodgers, he's not better than Brady, he's not better than than Breeze, he's not better than Peyton. He's not better than Eli Manning. Some people have come up with the Flacco-Eli Manning comparison. I say that works if we're talking about Eli Manning, 2007-2008, not Eli Manning now. I look at Manning's touchdown totals the past three seasons, 31-29-26. He's asked to do a lot more for that offense than Flacco has been asked to do for his Ravens offense. Maybe that changes next season, but as it stands now, Eli Manning is ahead of Flacco. Um, Number six on my list is Ben Roethlisberger, and maybe I'm behind the times on this. I know Big Ben did not play well last season. Granted, he was injured, but still, Steelers haven't made the playoffs for two seasons now, so maybe I'm a little slow on Roethlisberger, but I just think he's a ballsy quarterback. I think he makes really big plays when he has to. A couple of real big plays in the Super Bowl. Two Super Bowl rings. Been to three of them already. Uh, I don't like him as a person, but as a player, I love Roethlisberger. I think he's a tough-as-nails kind of guy. No moment is too big for him. Uh, Roethlisberger's still at the top of my list. Um, So now we have six. We have Rodgers, Brady, Breeze, Peyton Manning, Eli Manning, Roethlisberger. In my opinion, pretty securely ahead of Flacco. So now he's at seven. And now ask yourself these questions. Who would you rather have quarterbacking your team? Joe Flacco or Robert Griffin III? Robert Griffin III, right? I mean, assuming he comes back healthy, which he will. We'll talk about that in the 2nd half segment when it comes down to PED use and <clears throat> the training these guys get nowadays with ACL tears and everything. A healthy Robert Griffin or Joe Flacco? Robert Griffin. Andrew Luck or Joe Flacco? Who do you want? I'm going Andrew Luck. Colin Kaepernick or Joe Flacco? Who do you want for a full season? Going Kaepernick. He's more dynamic. You can do more things with him. He's better. He's more talented. He's a more talented quarterback. Russell Wilson or Joe Flacco? This is close, but still going Russell Wilson. I think he's better. So now Flacco's out of my top 10. Joe Flacco and Matt Ryan. Well, now I be inclined to go Flacco. But if we're just talking regular season, I don't think there's any doubt Matt Ryan's better regular season quarterback than Flacco. So, okay, now he's, you know, now he's 11-12. See my point? When you go through the list and compare Flacco quarterback to quarterback, it's really hard to put him in the top 10. It is, and that's not an indictment on him. That doesn't mean anything. As I said, it doesn't matter. All that matters is if you can win, and you can win with Joe Flacco. The Ravens showed that this season. But is he elite? Can you build an offense around him? Does he make everybody around him better? No. Still don't think Flacco does that. I don't think he'll ever do that, which is fine. He doesn't have to. He won the Super Bowl now. I have to shut the hell up. But if we're having the elite argument, I still don't think Joe Flacco is there. I just don't, sorry. Now, moving on to the second down segment where we talk about the biggest off-field story of the past week. This offseason, by the way, a lot of really great things we're going to talk about. Going to tackle the issues of the day, obviously, but I want to spend some time this offseason talking about the attendance problem the NFL has. Games popularity's never been higher. TV ratings never been higher. But attendance declines in a lot of markets. Why? Can the NFL ever change that? Or is the just at-home experience so much better than the in-game experience? The NFL can never catch up there. So, I'm really excited about a lot of things we're gonna do, but this week I'm gonna revisit the PED story that we talked about last week with Ray Lewis and the deer antler stuff. I got some got some comments on the comment page on FootballNation.com, and I appreciate all of your input. As I've said ad nauseum, it's good to know I'm not just speaking into the abyss. And a lot of people said, "Alex, you're too not you're too cynical here." Uh, saying that, you know, obviously Ray Lewis was on steroids. You know, how else do you recover from a triceps injury in 10, 11 weeks? I mean, Chris said, Alex, you're too cynical to say that, you know, Lewis was obviously on him and that everyone's on him. Uh, And, again, I just disagree. You know, I, I look at Ray Lewis and I said, this was a guy with 37 years of age, recovered in a mere 11 weeks from a triceps injury that ends seasons in a lot of cases. I mean, come on. You really thought he just did that by taking his vitamins and getting a good night's sleep? I look at Adrian Peterson, who recovered from a torn ACL in eight months to have the best season a running back has ever had, arguably. ACLs used to take a year plus to recover from. And then Peterson comes back eight months later, better than ever. I'm sorry, that's a little fishy to me. So, to me, this topic is totally on the table in regards to the NFL, and in regards to all professional sports. We look at the Biogenesis Clinic in South Florida that got busted last week at Major League Baseball, and Alex Rodriguez and several other players are on the client list there. I think we will forever be in the steroid era of sports. And those who listen to my Red Sox podcast without a curse know I've been saying this for years about baseball and, and the steroid era there. Now, I think the steroid era is not over. It will never be over. The science Will always be a step ahead of the drug testing. The intent to use will always be there, and the science and medicine will always be there to match that intent. So I think with modern medicine being where it is, we will forever be in the steroid era. There's no two ways about it. Um, now, Bill Simmons on grantland.com wrote a fantastic long form article this week about performance-dancing drugs in sports, how we now view sports, and how the sports fan, Bill Simmons, viewed things differently than the ESPN version of Bill Simmons. Now, the sports fan Bill Simmons openly speculated about steroid use in sports and how the ESPN Bill Simmons didn't do that because he thought it was irresponsible. Well, Simmons in his column came to an epiphany and said he no longer thinks, speculating about performance enhancing drug use with professional athletes is irresponsible. And I'm to say, I agree 100% with Simmons. First, let me read you some excerpts from the end of his column. Then I'll give you my take on it. Uh, quote, this is Simmons. I'm reading verbatim. I believe that Ray Lewis cheated. I believe that to be true based on circumstantial evidence, his age, his overcompetitiveness, the history of that specific injury, and the fact that his recovery made my shit detector start vibrating like a chainsaw. Sorry for my blunt language there. Again, I'm just reading for- verbatim. You know, email Billy. I believe in my right to write the previous paragraph because athletes pushed us to this point. We need better drug testing. We need blood testing. We need biological passports. We need that stuff now, not in three years, not in two years, now. I don't even know what I'm watching anymore. I believe we need to fix this disconnect between our private conversations and our public ones. Cheating in professional sports is an epidemic. Wondering about the reasons behind dramatically improved performance or dramatically fast recovery time shouldn't be considered off-limits for media members. We shouldn't feel like scumbags bringing this stuff up. It's part of sports. I believe that if I played sports for a living, I would steer clear of performance enhancers no matter how many millions were at stake, no matter how famous they might make me, no matter how many titles I might win. I like to believe that anyway. The truth is, I don't really know what I would do. And neither do you. Simmons closes by writing, I believe Adrian Peterson came back naturally. I don't need to see all day peeing a cup at the Super Bowl. Sports fan me and ESPN me agree on this one. Of course, if he gave us a halftime choice between Beyonce performing and Ray Lewis peeing in a cup, we're going with the peeing. Welcome to sports in the 21st century. Now, Simmons' point is, and it's a brilliant one, is we don't have anything more than circumstantial evidence on both Ray Lewis and Adrian Peterson. It's all speculation. I mean, hey, Lewis pretty vehemently denied those claims last week that he used deer antler spray to recover from his triceps injury. So it's nothing more than circumstantial evidence on Lewis, Peterson, or anybody else in sports. It's all speculation. And Bill Simmons' point is, based on speculation, I think Lewis did it. I don't think Peterson did it. You know, just like trade rumors. You know, he believes Lewis used and Peterson didn't use just like you may believe player X will be traded and player y, player y won't be traded. It's all speculation. And that's what we do as sports commentators. We speculate. As sports fans, we speculate. If we only talked about things we knew about, we would have nothing to talk about. We don't really have to talk about the games. Because, you know, we don't exactly know what happened on that play. We don't exactly know what was going through our head coach's mind when he made that play call or made that substitution. We don't know anything. In sports, we speculate. That's what we do. We make predictions. We talk about trade targets. We talk about free agent targets. We talk about rumors. We speculate. That's what we do. So what's the difference now between speculating about a trade or speculating about how a game will go and speculating about performance-enhancing drug use? I mean, let's be real. As Bill Simmons says, It's as much a part of sports now as trades, free agent signings, or anything else. We speculate as sports fans, as sports commentators. It's what we do, it's what this is all about. So, my edict here in Football Nation today about performance dancing drug use in football this is how it goes for all sports. I follow the same thing on my Red Sox podcast without a curse. Don't worry, I'm not just talking about football here, but on this show. I will speculate, I will openly speculate on PED use, I'm going to be fair about it, but I'll speculate, you know, if Robert Griffin III comes back next season, first week in September, better than ever, you know, rushes for 150 yards, throws for 250, couple touchdowns, I'm going to say, you know, wow, previously it took guys a year plus to recover from injuries like that, knee problems like that, and now he comes back seven, eight months later, and skipped a beat, actually, better than ever before. That happens, and I think it will happen. I'm gonna speculate. And that's fine. That's not an indictment on Robert Griffin III. Just like me thinking Adrian Peterson used something to get back so fast. Is an indictment on Peterson. Because as I said, it's the era of sport we live in. We will never be past the steroid era. This is the new norm. I think that's where I differ a little bit from Bill Simmons. I don't think we'll ever I don't think any amount of drug testing will ever catch all of the quote unquote cheaters. And I put cheaters in parentheses because where's the line? The line is blurred. It's never been blurrier about what's legal and illegal in terms of medicine and modern scientific advancements. So I'm going to speculate on this show. Because performance dancing drugs are as much as part of sports as trade rumors, free agency, preseason predictions, everything. All we do when we talk about sports is speculate. This whole NFL offseason will be filled with speculation. And to me now, with the way sports are, there is no difference between speculating about PED use and whether a guy's going to be traded or not, whether a team's going to sign a specific free agent or draft a specific player. There's no difference. PED use is a major part of sports. The the Biogenesis Clinic in baseball, the Ray Lewis story, Lance Armstrong, all that over the past couple weeks to just reaffirm what I thought was obvious. But now, hopefully it's obvious to everybody. Gearing up now for the third down segment. This is how the segment works. I say a statement and then affirm my agreement or disagreement with that statement by saying big up or slow down. Big up or slow down number one. This is a real interesting topic to me. Rob Gronkowski, with a cast on his broken left forearm, was seen partying shirtless and DDTing. That's a wrestling move for those of you who don't know. One of his brothers on the stage of a Las Vegas nightclub this week. After, of course, he... Partied like crazy at New Orleans and Louisiana in the Super Bowl this week. Pictures popped up of Gronkowski at an LSU frat bar. So he did all that partying last week in New Orleans and Louisiana. Even traveled to Baton Rouge to go to LSU. And then, this week, after the Super Bowl, takes a trip out to Vegas, partying with his shirt off, cast on his broken left forearm, and then DDTing one of his brothers and landing, actually, on his broken left arm. So, big up or slow down. Is Gronkowski's rampant? off-field drinking and partying, a concern for the Patriots. I don't like to come across as a curmudgeon, because I'm only 20. But yes, I say big up here. It's a concern for the Patriots. The Gronk act was awesome at first, but it's getting a little old now. Entering his fourth year in the league, it's getting... A little bit tired, so big up. This is a concern for the Patriots. Now, you know, if you want to be a real jerk about it, you can look at it like this. You can say, hey, the Patriots would have won the past two Super Bowls if they had a healthy Rob Gronkowski. They would have beaten the Giants last year, they would have beaten the Ravens this year, and they would have put up a game against the Niners this year as well. Want to be a real jerk about it, you can make that statement. If the Pats had a healthy Gronkowski these past two years, they would have won at least one, if not two, Super Bowls. Then the question is, how seriously is Gronkowski taking his career and his rehab? Now, thus far, let's be fair. Gronkowski's off-field habits have had zero effect on his play. You know what I mean? He broke his forearm this year on an extra point, a freak play. He's been injured the past two seasons because of the way he plays on the field and the physicality of it all. So thus far, his off-field habits, his partying, his drinking have had zero effect on his play and has had zero effect on his health. He was injured this year on an extra point, a freak accident. So thus far, it's been a non-factor. Absolutely. Keep on trucking. But Gronkowski is now signed to a long-term deal. And the question is, if this keeps up, will it have an effect on him? And the answer to that question is, absolutely it will. Of course it will have an effect on you. Can't keep that up for that many years without it affecting your performance. It's, it, this isn't new. I mean, tons of guys have partied themselves out of professional sports. Happens all the time. Body can't handle it anymore after a while. You're a professional athlete. You you push yourself to the limits like nobody else, especially if you're a professional football player. It has to have an effect on Gronkowski eventually. You can't keep this up forever. Tons of guys have partied themselves out of pro sports. And you'd hate to see it happen, because he's so important to this Patriots team. And Gronkowski has the chance to be the best tight end in the history of the league. But he has to clean up his act a little bit. As I said, he's also entering his fourth year in the league. He's one of the faces of the Patriots organization. He's not getting arrested. He's not beating his wife or his girlfriend. He's not drunk driving, or he's getting caught. He's not doing any of that stuff. Not failing drug tests, I get that. I'm not saying Rob Gronkowski is, you know, the most misbehaved guy in the entire NFL. Needs to be, you know, be thrown in jail, throw away the camp. Not not saying that. Not at all. All I'm saying is he has to change his act a little bit. Because it's getting a little old to see him out there with a broken left forearm signed to this long-term deal. Two weeks after his team loses the AFC title game, DDTing his brother. And landing on his left forearm on the stage. I mean, it's ridiculous. I mean, tons of guys around the league party. I mean, you think Brady and Giselle don't get after it? I mean, they have kids now, but I mean, beforehand, you don't think they got after it? You don't think Tom Brady gets after it? Come on. I mean, you don't think Derek... On my Red Sox podcast, Without a Curse, I spent a lot of time this week comparing A-Rod and Jeter. My point was just how sloppy A-Rod is, you know, not just with the steroid thing, you know, putting his name on the files of that Dr. Anthony Bosch. I mean, Alex Rodriguez's names were on the files. I mean, what, you mean A-Rod doesn't have handlers, doesn't have associates, you can do that for him? You know, but everything with A-Rod is a big thing, you know, everything he does in his private life becomes public. You know, even that stupid thing last year, you know, kissing the girl, blowing kissing signs to the girl in the stands at the playoff game while the Yankees were getting killed. got caught doing that, I mean, why get caught doing that? Come on, man! Be smarter with your private life. I mean, Jeter is still a bachelor. And he's Derek flippin' Jeter. You think Jeter gets some tail. You think Jeter gets around? Of course he does. But you never hear about it in the tabloids. Why? Because Jeter's smart. He's not sloppy. A-Rod is sloppy. With everything in his life. And that's the difference between A-Rod and Jeter. And you'd hate to see Gronkowski go down that similar path. You'd hate to see Gronkowski... Continue to be this sloppy. It's the NFL. These guys are very young and very rich. Of course they go out all the time. That's great. They should. I would too if I were in their situation. I do now and I have nothing to go out for. And I have no accomplishments to tout. So I mean I can only imagine. If I was actually you know like a football player or something. My goodness look out. All these guys go out. But. How come Gronkowski is the only one who continually gets photographed with his shirt off in bars, DDTing his brothers, and landing on his broken left forearm? How come he's the only one who this happens to? He has to be less sloppy. He has to change his behavior a little bit. Has had zero effect on his career now. But it will. It has to. So I think Gronk does need to change a little bit. I do. Now, wrapping up the segment here, final two questions. Randy Moss called himself the best receiver in the history of football last week. He most certainly is not. That's Jerry Rice from every statistical angle. But here's the question. Randy Moss is one of the most polarizing figures in all of football. I have said a lot about him this year because he's been a secondary option on the Niners. But some people thought he gave up on some plays in the Super Bowl. And, of course, he played here in the, with the for the Patriots for many years. So... I have some strong thoughts on Moss. Simple question. Big up or slow down. Do I like Randy Moss? And my answer is no. Slow down. I don't like Randy Moss. I'm not a big fan. He's immensely talented. One of the most talented receivers to ever play the game. And he's put up some fantastic seasons. And he's helped a lot of teams win a lot of games. But he's also quit pretty much everywhere he's been. He quit here on the Patriots in 2010. And that Patriots offense in 2010 was better after they traded Randy Moss and replaced him with Dion Branch, if you can believe that. I, I, it just comes down to this. I don't like the kind of player that Randy Moss is. He doesn't exert 100% effort all the time. You know, he quit on that first interception Kaepernick threw on Sunday. I don't care what Jim Harbaugh says. And Jim Harbaugh's doing his job protecting his player, but I don't care what Jim Harbaugh says. Moss quit on that throw. He didn't fight for it. It landed right into Ed Reed's outstretched arms. Moss didn't leap. Didn't do anything. You know, he didn't fight for another pass in that first half that Corey Graham, I believe it was, broke up. It was a slant route. The cornerback and Moss collided, and Moss just kind of backed off. Incomplete. No second effort. Nothing. He doesn't fight. He doesn't like to go over the the middle of the field. He's not my kind of receiver. And Bolden. Who I <laughs> told you earlier I have a big man crush on. He's my kind of guy. I love the way Bolden plays receiver. He's my kind of receiver. I want Anquan Bolden on my team. I don't want Randy Moss on my team. I don't like the way he plays. I've never liked the way he plays. Gliding down the sideline, you know. come Go over the middle. Run a slant route. Once in a while. Won't kill you. May help your team win. Fight for the ball. I mean, if Moss comes down with a few more catches, a few more tough catches in the first half of that game, breaks up the interception to Reed, maybe the Niners win. Who knows? So I respect Randy Moss's talent. You have to respect Moss's talent. But do I like Randy Moss? Do I like what he symbolized? Do I like the kind of player he is? No. I don't. I just don't. Last one. An estimated 108.4 million people watched Super Bowl 47 this year, making it barely fall short of setting a Nielsen Cable ratings record for the fourth consecutive year. The ratings also dropped a little bit during the power outage, so if we didn't have the power failure, maybe we would have broken another record. But here's a question Bernard Pollard last week said in 30 years, doesn't think the NFL will be as popular as it is, doesn't think it will exist, you know? So. Do I agree with Mr. Pollard? Big up or slow down? Will this stop in the near future with all the rule changes and concussions and all the secrets letting out about the NFL and their previous lack of concern for player safety? Is this going to slow down the game? Will they come back to life? No. I say slow down. The NFL, they'll continue to go upwards. They'll continue to rise. I mean, maybe they'll come down a teeny little bit, because it just has to, a lot of averages, but the game is so popular right now. It has offense. People love offense. Chicks dig the long ball. Chicks dig the touchdown. And don't forget the gambling component. That's it. Story over. The gambling is huge. Fantasy football and the lines in Vegas. That's all you need. As long as those two things are around, the NFL will be around and be around big. Every guy I know, every age, I know, plays fantasy football. Avid fantasy football player. Gamblers. Betting on the lines. Betting on games. Whether it's in Vegas or office pools or pools with your friends. Doesn't matter. And that's the dirtiest secret about the NFL. The fact that they are run by gambling. That's the reason why they are where they are. Gambling. That's why they are so deathly afraid of Las Vegas. They don't want any of this to come out. But it's true. The league is run by gambling. And as long as gambling will be around... The NFL will be around, and we will be around big. So no, slow down. The NFL ain't going anywhere, because they got offense, and they got gambling, and that's all they need to sustain their popularity. Fourth down segment, closing out the show. Thank you for listening to the Super Bowl wrap-up. It's the Reamer rant, and the Reamer rant this week is on former players who are TV analysts and who don't say anything. I've spoken about this topic before, but it resurfaced to the forefront of my mind as I was watching the CBS coverage during the blackout. Now, admittedly, I was watching it with people it wasn't glued to the TV, but I heard dribs and drabs, it, and I've obviously read a lot about it, read, watched a lot of clips since then, and I say, my goodness, Shannon Sharp, can he even put a, uh, a cohesive sentence together? Is that even possible with this guy? he's not funny, he's not insightful, he's nothing. If you can't speak coherently, if you can't offer insights, if you can't offer humor, what are you doing on television? Really? I mean, I understand the allure to former players who are TV analysts. Ideally, they can offer insights that those who didn't play can't. You know, I think it's damning when a former player critiques a head coach or another player, a current player. It's damning. It weighs more, it means more, because of that player's past. I mean, Phil Sims, for example, that was terrible during the Super Bowl on Sunday. He didn't say anything, ever. You know, John Harbaugh, who had that coach a terrific game and had a terrific season, as I said in the first down segment, uh, he did make one big mistake in that Super Bowl. That fake field goal try in the second quarter, up 14-3 to on 4th and 9, you're going to fake a field goal? On 4th and 9 and have your rookie kicker, Justin Tucker? Try to run it and pick up the first down and run nine yards? Really? How stupid are you? And when the replay was shown, Phil Simms said, well, I'm not going to second guess that. What, Phil? You're not going to second guess that? What are you doing up there? You're up there to second guess. That's why we have color commentators. So, usually, unfortunately, it doesn't work that way. Most of the time, it's ex-athletes spouting cliched crap. I mean, we saw a lot of Dan Marino on Sunday. When did Dan Marino ever say anything even remotely interesting? I I can't think of one time. You know, I mean, I look at the national football commentators. There are a couple of really good ones. Chris Collinsworth, to me, is the best guy in the business. I don't always agree with him, but at least he has something to me to to agree with or disagree with. At least he talks, offers an opinion. I think Boomer Esiason is excellent. On that CBS show. I think he's excellent because he also does talk radio in New York. And when you do talk radio for four hours a day, you realize, oh yeah, these opinions are pretty important. And Boomer is fantastic. He's awesome. But outside of that, I mean, does ESPN really have anyone not- noteworthy? I like Teddy Bruschi. I think Bruschi does a nice job. Mark Schler, it's alright. But I mean, look at that ESPN pregame show. Ditka, Keyshawn, Chris Carter. Oh, it's a... Uh, they're, they're, they're laugh fest. all those guys, just put the laugh track on the show there, but none of them say anything that's has any meaning to it whatsoever. I only like ex-players who are willing to criticize. I mean, Ray Lewis is probably going to be featured prominently on ESPN's football coverage next season. And what is Ray Lewis going to be, you know? Because I look at Ray Lewis, and he's irritating, he's annoying, he played terribly in that Super Bowl. I know all of that stuff. As I said before, I respect the hell out of Ray Lewis as a player, had a terrific career, one of the best middle linebackers to ever suit up. To me, one of the biggest compliments I can give Ray Lewis is none of his teammates have ever said a bad word about him. He's respected universally by his peers. And I think Ray Lewis is articulate. I do. I think for the most part, not always, but for the most part, he's an articulate, fairly well-spoken guy. Goofy, yeah, but articulate. So, what's Ray Lewis going to be? I mean, can you imagine if Ray Lewis actually decides to take it seriously? I mean, he's full of himself and he's nuts. He's out to lunch. But, can you imagine if Ray Lewis takes his media work even somewhat seriously and criticizes guys? Oh, he could be great. But I'm not sure if he'll do that. And it's kind of a shame that a guy like Ray Lewis, a great player like that, who should have so much to offer, Right? I mean, it's a shame that he makes a jump to ESPN and you say, hmm, I'm not sure how I feel about this. What do you mean all you feel about this? This is Ray Lewis, one of the all-time greats. Great personality, big personality. He should be a a home run. But we're not sure if he will be because we've seen time and time again these guys get in front of the camera and shrivel up and not offer anything of substance. So, Watched a lot of football coverage this weekend, as we all did. Went, sat through the CBS blackout coverage. And on the whole, they did a decent job, given the circumstances. But a lot of these ex-athletes have media jobs, and a lot of these guys don't say anything. And that is, we're almost being robbed, because they have so much to offer. And when one of them actually decides to say something, like a Boomer, like a Collinsworth, damn, man, that's awesome. But it so seldom happens, so, I don't know. Kind of down the whole ex-player thing after watching all the Super Bowl pregame coverage this week. Eh, they don't take it seriously. I don't offer opinions. I only like ones who give me an opinion. So thank you for tuning in to Football Nation today, episode number 36. I know we nearly went an hour. We had a lot to talk about this week. Hopefully you enjoyed the program as much as I enjoyed hosting it. As always, if you have any comments on anything we've discussed today, feel free to leave a comment on the Football Nation Today show page on footballnation.com. Right below this episode, there's a comment thread. Leave your comments. would love to hear from you. Feel free to send me an email. areamer at bu.edu is my email address. I'll get back to you. like to talk that way. or Also, feel free to hit me up on Twitter. At AlexRimmer1 is my Twitter name. So long, everybody. Thank you for listening. Thanks to everyone here at FootballNation.com. It's been a terrific season. But we're not slowing down. I'm not slowing down. The website isn't slowing down. we have great content for you throughout the offseason. Beginning, oh, next Wednesday. So long. Enjoy your week. Talk to you next on Football Nation today. Next Wednesday. I'm sure we'll have a lot to talk about. We always do. Talk then.